welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. And I'm producer Bill. Oh, man. And today we're going to get an education because uh, Bill used this term. And he used this term in conversation. And I was like, I haven't heard this before. And it was like this weird gap in my knowledge. So when I went to look at it, of course, there's reams and reams of research about this thing. And I just started thinking, how does this apply to pop culture? And who better to explain it to me and, and fill the gaps in my knowledge than producer Bill? So introduce our topic, producer Bill, and why it is so important for people to know about tit. Oh, this is one of my favorite topics in politics, which, you know, is a little bit of a nuclear term right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody likes to listen to weird political arguments. But I think that we can talk about this without becoming, you know, evangelists for one particular talking point or another. And what we're talking about today is the Overton window. The Overton window was named for political analyst Joseph Overton. Essentially, all political ideas fall on a spectrum. This is not scientific at all. I'm just going to throw this out there as a way to sort of conceptualize this. You might even think about it more as a circle because a lot of people have made the argument that if you get far enough left or far enough right, you end up in totalitarianism. There might be something to that. But think of it this way. On the far right is essentially concentration camps, mass genocide, you know, eugenics. We are going to engineer a population that is exactly one thing and kill everybody else. And on the far left is essentially the Borg Collective. Everybody is going to be assimilated into this one utopian idea of what civilization is. And, you know, we're group think becomes the norm and yada, yada, yada. Right. Mm -hmm. So whatever the most extreme example of right and left is that exists on the end of the spectrum and every other idea kind of falls somewhere in between those two things. The Overton window is essentially think of a rectangle that you can slide back and forth along that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And within that rectangle is essentially what the culture accepts as normal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at in the very middle of the Overton window would be things that are actual public policy, right? Very mainstream ideas. You know, I would argue that something, even though, and we'll get into this, people might uh, try to force it one way or the other, but something like Medicare is smack dab in the middle of the Overton window. It's mm -hmm. fairly uncontroversial. It's been around for going on a hundred years. It's just a way of life. On the far left side of the Overton window, but still in the window, would be something like universal health care. It's not necessarily policy, but it's something that politicians, you know, credible politicians talk about in a serious way. And a large part of the population, you know, advocates for it. It's an acceptable idea in public discourse. Mm -hmm. And further to the right of the Overton window would be something along the lines of, say, um, well, <laughs> not to go not to put too fine a point on it, but banning abortions. Right. For a long time, that mm -hmm. was an idea that we had sort of moved past, but it, it never really left the popular conversation. So, you know, while the left might reject that idea completely, a large enough number of people in our culture said, no, this is a viable idea. And so it remains in the Overton window. So hopefully you kind of followed all that. That's kind of a gross oversimplification. But the idea is essentially what 
does the culture say is mainstream? Mm. That is the Overton window. And where this gets really interesting, and this is what that shithead strategist Frank Luntz kind of seized on, is that the Overton window doesn't really expand or contract. The size of the Overton window stays the same, but it does slide left and right. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the way to slide it left and right. So let's say you are a conservative and you want more conservative ideas in the mainstream. The most effective way to do that is to start introducing a buttload of extreme conservative ideas into the popular conversation. Because the more that extreme ideas are talked about, the more normalized, less, less extreme ideas become. And so the window slides right. And what's mm -hmm. really insidious about this is extreme ideas, especially in the way that our culture is engineered right now, always merit a response. And the very act of responding nudges them into the Overton window. The fact that mm -hmm. this is now something that we talk about in public means that the Overton window is moving. You know, it's a conceptual thing. Like, there's there's no way to really measure this. But I think if you take a step back, you realize the truth in it. And to me, one of the most egregious failings of the left is that... <laughs> And listen, if you're a centrist or if you're a conservative, you're going to think I'm crazy, but hear me out. I don't think the left introduces enough extreme ideas. And what I mean by that, and this is about as far as I'm going to go with, you know, giving my opinion for now, and then we'll go from there. But what I mean by that is on the right, you have QAnon, which is a belief that a cabal of baby eating Jews are engineering world events to essentially keep people dumb and poor and ignorant for their own benefit. That is crazy. That mm -hmm. is absolutely crazy. But it is now in the Overton window. And I think the collective effect of having such a crazy conspiracy theory, and QAnon is by far the not the only right-wing conspiracy theory that is now talked about in the mainstream, the collective effect of that is that the Overton window moves right. And so the fact that we have just seen the Supreme Court willing to overturn Roe versus Wade and recriminalize abortion is a, it, it could not be a more effective example of what I'm talking about. As the public discourse shifts to the right because there's more and more extreme stuff from the right being introduced, the less extreme but still solidly right ideas are now becoming more and more in the center of the window. And so this is a really powerful idea that I think conservatives have embraced for a long time and, and I don't think liberals have really embraced at all. So that's my 30,000-foot view. Well, the thing that it makes me think of is do you think – or rather do even I think that the left loses because they are – and I don't want to say more fact-based because there's plenty of feelings on the left. There's plenty of feelings everywhere. It's harder for for us to come up with like the, – the hardest we can do is like $15 an hour for breaking your back cleaning fryers. 
That's the best we can do is 15 an hour. Oh, and maybe we'll forgive some people's student loans if they're like essential workers and cool guys and they know how to break dance or they have a special skill. You know what I mean? Like, I think we've, we've, we're so right wing in a lot of the things we do in America that even when the left is in control, they end up, especially given the fact of the rise of the centrist, you know, the rise of the person that just wants to like, can I just please read my, read my Superman comics and pray to Jesus if I want to? <laughs> And just be okay and be a consumer. And can I, I just want to opt live? Out. Yeah, yeah. Can I just live? Want to opt out. No matter what's burning around them, no matter whose rights are being trampled, they just, please, for Christ's sake, can I just chill the fuck out? And, and by the way, when you say that, I have all the sympathy in the world for people who want to just live because life sucks in general. Like life is hard to get through. And the fact that you're just getting through is not an accomplishment that anybody should take lightly. So don't feel bad if you want to just live. But where I think the rubber meets the road there is Republicans have essentially been doubling down on this strategy since the 70s. You know, a lot of people talk about the Southern strategy was sort of this weird shift in American politics. And it was. It was essentially when Republican strategists go, huh, we are losing a coalition that can win national elections. Who are people that we can go out and court? Oh, it's racists and Bible thumpers. And like, mm. this isn't a controversial statement. This is just history. Like mm. there are documents written that are mm. now in the public record where that was the strategy behind Richard Nixon's successful presidential campaign. So from that time on, you know, you talk about the minimum wage as like, that's the best we can do as, as an extreme, you know, left wing idea introduced to the public discourse. Well, the only reason why that's extreme is because we now have to react to the fact that since the 80s, Republicans have been pushing trickle-down economics and laissez-faire capitalism. So mm. in a world where we've had 40, some might say 50 years, because all these ideas took root in the 70s, they just became popularized in the 80s, you know, in a, where we've had literally two generations worth of conditioning that taxes are theft, that business owners are moral, that, you know, everybody needs to work hard and pull themselves up by their bootstraps in order to make that money and nobody should be given a handout and blah, blah, blah. It's like these are the prevailing elements that are in the Overton window, right? So, yeah, of course, saying, well, you know what? Low wage workers should be paid twice as much as they're paid right now sounds extreme. The reality is you look at any comparison between minimum wage and cost of living and you see that the U.S. is wildly out of step, wildly mm -hmm. out of step with the rest of the world, wildly out of step with the reality of economics. Like, that's just mm -hmm. where we are. But the Overton window doesn't care because right, the reality of the economics is not what's in the over in the middle of the Overton window. No, exactly. And that's the warping of reality. And that's why it's such an important com uh, uh, concept. And that's why I wanted to explore it is because if we can't see the other sides that what's outside the frame, you know what I mean? I was on the internet and this chick was talking about universal basic income and yeah. it hit my brain so hard. Like, oh, what, bitch? You just wake up and have money enough to go get a bagel and stuff and chill out. And you still are incentivized to have a job and shit because your universal basic in income or you or or housing subsidies or whatever makes you be able to live and have your little bagel money, basic income. It would be enough to live and not be on the streets. 
what would that do? How would that Starfleet eyes our whole country, basically, to take that off the table as your excuse why you stab somebody? What what would it do for us? And it was like so awesome. And I rejected it so wholeheartedly, dude. I was like, I windmill dunked it into the trash can mm-hmm. because of because of this window, probably because of me going, this is impossible and that's impossible. And I think that's what you're getting at in regards to the left doesn't. I have never heard of anybody serious in the Democratic Party pull up universal basic income or even something close to it. Like if you prove that you do a certain amount of hours of X online courses or whatever, if you prove you do a certain number of X amount of self-improvement, you can get X amount of money from the government as a grant to help you do stuff. Sure. And and that just being a universal thing that anybody could apply for. I've never seen somebody serious in the Democratic Party do any of that. We're going more and more centrist, even to the point where our most popular of these far left dudes, the the Bernie people, I guess, probably the most popular popular uh, sure. in, in pop culture. Even they are like, I'm in Vermont with my gun and my free trade coffee in the woods. Yeah. And I'm mixing some Vermont or Canadian maple into my pancakes that I made and my rustic pot belly stove. And I'm writing a Republican manifesto, but I don't want to fuck with people's lives socially. And that's the best well, we can do as far as far left people. You know, what I mean? it's e- weird. It it is weird, and it, it this is the thing that the Overton window makes you do is it makes you look at sort of the long chain of events. And I would argue that you know universal basic income, again, here's a shot of reality, and nobody talks about this because it, it's not within the Overton window of American culture. But Norway is a country that has universal basic income, has one of the highest standards of living in the world. If you travel internationally, the people who party the hardest and with the least care are Norwegians because their currency is the strongest in the world, this country that has universal basic income, right? Here's the thing. Norway has universal basic income because they've nationalized their oil industry. Now, nationalizing an industry is already anathema in the United States because, Mm -hmm. dear God, that's communism, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, this is how the Overton window works. Because nationalizing utilities it's funny. Uh, last week tonight with John Oliver just did a just did a whole story about this idea of like utilities and how they're managed essentially as for profit businesses, despite the fact that there are laws on the books that they shouldn't be. But it's this whole weird American idea of like even for public utilities, we can't let the government operate it because it's only going to go horribly wrong. Again. You can't argue with it because the Overton window says that's what Americans think. But the reality is, in Norway, the government controls all of their natural resources. The government makes a surplus of money by controlling those natural resources. And they just give every citizen a universal basic income because of that. And by the way, so does Alaska. And people don't really know that either. So when you think about universal basic income, it's not a controversial idea. It's an idea that's been proven to work, but it's built on these other ideas that like it's such an uphill climb in the United States to get people on board because that's just not what our culture thinks. It's not okay. that it's not workable. It's just mm-hmm. not what we think. Okay. And and so us being a pop culture show, I have to introduce that its effect on pop culture because we understand from from what we just said, its effects on actual politics 
we we cannot get a certain amount of of left ideas it, it seems as though our the the right wing does control the language discourse so that you find yourself going I'm not trying to be an sjw over here uh not trying to be a women's studies class over here i do that shit all the time dude i do that shit all the time i'm calling myself out on it. i do that shit all the time because you don't want to be caught quote unquote virtue signaling mm-hmm. and i think a a big part of how people virtue signal or how people blah 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 is has been dropped in the laps of comics discourse and to that effect a lot of pop culture discourse because now once you see uh uh the overton window of looking at a certain product right mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of people whose overton window of star trek is they're the navy and when aliens come up talking shit they get blown the fuck up if they don't listen to our dope ass words there's always been a slight bit of right wing shit in star trek or in any sort of space thing because we are introducing our way of life to them them being aliens a lot of times they reject it but we've tried everything we're the smartest. So we have to come in here and install our way of life here, and it'll be way better. If when you join the Federation, everything's great, man. No, it's a really interesting way to think about this because I would agree. You know, you would look at something like Star Trek and be like, okay, magic, for example, falls totally outside the Overton window for Star Trek. But then you got to go, does it? Like in mm-hmm. a world where, where Q exists? Is it Q? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has the thing with Picard? That's magic to me. I mean, I don't know how, how else you would define it. But again, it's one of these things. And, and you know, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek is a really interesting example here, because for the longest time, I would say that maybe on one side, you know, mad like fantasy style magic is outside of the Overton window. And maybe on the other side, like shoot 'em up, whiz bang, you know, action movies are outside the Overton window for Star Trek. But then J.J. Abrams was like, mm-hmm. eh, maybe not. And what's mm-hmm. really funny is. So the Overton window for Star Trek moves toward whiz-bang action. I think that has persisted. And some of the some of the more whimsical, magical stuff that you would see in the next generation era, you know, we're going to go back to Victorian England and we're all going to dress mm-hmm. up in fancy, stuffy costumes, mm-hmm. has gone away. This is the perfect vehicle to explore this concept through. Because in recent years, there's been a bunch of discourse about um, about Discovery basically just being like a war show. Like we're they're in a giant war with the Klingons and they're in a giant war with these creatures that are coming to fuck us up. And there's these season long arcs and there's all this emotionality and crying because like people's lives are really at stake. There isn't any of this syndication shit. Turn it on with your fucking dad. Sit by his stinky feet and watch this. There's nothing like that about these shows. These shows are like like appointment you got an appointment and you sit down and you and you look at it because a new part of the saga is being unfolded it's a major fucking shift and they happen to be doing that major shift with a bunch of black characters with a bunch of female characters so that was like it double overton windowed these motherfuckers they were like (laughs) you stole my whimsy and there's all these negroes what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? And it, it really blew their minds. No, but I mean, this is an interesting topic because I would argue that, you know, people make this argument all the time. Star Trek has always been about including women and minorities and, you know, it, it, everybody under the sun. That is the ethos of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So that shouldn't be jarring. 
that's in the middle of the Overton window, as it were, right? Mm-hmm. You all, you already said the idea of thinking of Starfleet as like the Navy and having these sort of tactical naval battles. Maybe that's not in the middle of the Overton window. That's on one side or the other, right? And then maybe opposite the whole idea of Star Trek is the Navy is the whimsy of it, right? Just the whimsical sort of throwaway nature of syndicated television. You can mm-hmm. pick one up and it's going to end nice and neat and we're going to move on and nothing really that important happens. Mm-hmm. So I would argue maybe as the Overton window shifts toward the Navy part, the war part, the, you know, diplomacy and enforcement part of Star Trek being more in the center of the window, that whimsy, that lack of stakes, that, you know, sort of disposable nature of it shifts out of the window. And so now you have paired up in the center the my the the women, the brown people, you know, the the uh non call it non white cis het stories, which were mm-hmm. always there. Mm. paired up with this greater focus on the militarization and like that level of storytelling and so you are losing something right the window shifts and so Mm. something that was either in the window or just outside the window now becomes further and further away from you Mm -hmm. so i don't want to take that away from you but i would just argue it's not the fact that star trek is telling stories about women and brown people it's the fact that star trek is focusing more on long-form war stories that you're not getting the whimsy that makes you feel like you're sitting at your daddy's knee. And Mm -hmm. again, it's like this shit happens and people don't think about it with this degree of nuance. And so the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, this isn't what I like. But really, what are you responding to? I think this is a really interesting idea to apply to pop culture. Well, it it is because you can find yourself going, Am I a misogynist or is Captain Marvel just really poorly introduced? And you just go like, okay, what the fuck? Like if if I – you know what I mean? You start to put yourself on a spectrum by having an opinion about some of these things. And I think that part has become weaponized in our society because it's like, okay, now I'm looking at you through an Overton window of – you know, like that whole – those memes about chaotic good, chaotic neutral, blah, blah, blah. I got a window around you now. And if you're okay, you got a neck beard, strike one. You don't like Captain Marvel, strike two. Let me see your fingers. Cheeto dust, strike three. You're the fuck out of here. (laughs) You know what's really interesting? Like, I think what we're talking about here is like the intersectionality of Overton windows. Because Mm -hmm. think about this, right? Like, the Captain Marvel thing's a great example. In the larger, in the Overton window of the larger culture, the idea of like, women's stories matter like the experience of women is important to history and culture that is a little bit towards the fringe of the overton window for the for the culture at large right i mean for the i mean women didn't women weren't able to have um i think it's either credit card accounts or their own bank accounts or some shit like that until like the 70s it was fucking nuts it's crazy. And so I would argue that there is a very meaningful and necessary movement to push the Overton window, probably left, to put women and their stories and their input matters to society closer to the center of the window, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in so doing, you are also going to shift the sub Overton windows of pop culture. And so now because 
you are part of that movement that's trying to very beneficently shift the Overton window of culture, your voice in pop culture is going to be received a little bit different, right? That's mm-hmm. where the intersectionality comes in. With Captain Marvel, great example, like this is an opportunity to do the work of making women's stories matter. But in so doing, you're changing things that people like about, you know, something that's important to them that has its own Overton window. And I, I, I don't know if I can really describe i don't know if it's the overton window of marvel comics of comics readers of captain marvel herself well i mean here's yeah. a here's the thing about it um overton windows exist in a lot of places now that i now that i'm looking through that frame literally uh and i think captain marvel suffers from so the, uh there is Venn diagrams, Overton windows, intersectionality, all these different ways to categorize ourselves and to cross categorize ourselves right and so there's this uh, in wrestling kayfabe or whatever. Everybody knows that the person who comes out of nowhere and starts beating everybody up is getting a push. The company has decided that since these matches are prescripted, if somebody's winning a bunch, they're getting a push. Management has decided that they're good. Now, when you when you kind of first introduce a guy, you let him lose a little bit, but you let him look great in defeat and little stuff like that. And you start testing the waters with him, kind of pilot program for this little wrestler or whatever. But then a lot of times, like when they when they introduce The Rock, they just let him in and let him beat the fuck out of everybody. And the fans hated it. Mm. The fans hated it because it was so obvious that management was just trying to put this guy over. He didn't have a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. You dig? He didn't mm-hmm. have these trials and tribulations to make him appealing to this common man and woman in the stands watching it. And Captain Marvel had the biggest fucking Rocky Maivia introduce introduction to the marvel universe i've ever seen all of these characters we've been struggling and striving and bleeding with for 20 years and this one comes up that's stronger than all of them cocky as fuck never gets humbled at any time during their entire whatever because by a certain window or by a certain point of view even doing that to her leaves her out of this category of cocksure heroes that we've accepted from men since time immemorial Arnold Schwarzenegger got hurt at the end of Commando because they deduced that his his enemy was t- slightly too fat and out of shape to actually be believable to contest him. So they let him get hurt and had, one of his arms was dead in the final fight in Commando. Beyond that, I'm having a real bunch of trouble finding the times that they took his power away, took yeah. Rambo's power away, took their cocksure. I'm about to fuck you up. I mean, after you know Rambo 2 and all the subsequent Schwarzenegger universe, they're just... I'm ready. I got the wit. The writers let me have the best things to say. I never harmed. I beat up hella odds. Suck my dick. I'm me. And they did that with Brie Larson. And we never saw it with a woman. Even with Wonder Woman, they had her go through a little bit of, of bullshit. We it never a, saw that with a woman. It's so interesting. Like, this is a hard conversation for me because I actually really like Captain Marvel's character in the MCU. Like, I loved how she showed up in uh, Endgame and just wrecked house like i i don't know there's i maybe it's because i'm such a superman fan but like i don't mind having a character like that and especially i think a lot of people didn't i mean that's why i made a billion dollars i'm just saying the people who are like i don't like this are they all sexist or is their sexism part of their perception of that character you know what i mean looking at how many things it takes to create your opinion well, yeah, let me let me add another kind of kind of interesting wrinkle. 
So the way you were talking about, you know, the WWE and sort of the fans rejecting what they were doing, right? Mm -hmm. So in politics, one of the incontrovertible truths of the Overton window is that politicians generally are not in the business of moving the window. Politicians are in the business of reading the window and going to where the constituents are. Because mm -hmm. the Overton window describes essentially an undirected effect. You know, undirected is maybe not the right word. It's a cumulative effect. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, a million independent actors that are trying to pull the Overton window one way or the other. But the most successful politicians are the ones who can read where it is and run to that place or read where it's going and get just far enough ahead of it that people embrace them. So now apply that to our entertainment products. You know, if you're Kevin Feige or whomever you want to attribute, you know, the Captain Marvel decisions to, if you're reading the Overton window of society, you're seeing between the Me Too movement and, you know, around the time they were developing uh, Captain Marvel, like people legitimately thought um, Hillary Clinton was going to be our next president. Mm -hmm. um, you're seeing, oh man, like, there is a sort of revolution in the way that we think about women and their their role in our society. Mm -hmm. Let me try to embrace that because mm -hmm. that is and it's it's an interesting idea of like, should entertainers act like politicians when it comes to the Overton window? And they always mm -hmm. say that, you know, politics is entertainment for ugly people. So I'm not going to say that it's it's a hard no on that because. Artists are a different thing. Artists are people mm. who are in the business of trying to move the Overton window. I think all the best artists probably exist on the fringes or damn well outside of the Overton window, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But entertainment's a different thing. And so yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's this weird question. And I would say if you're, you know, certainly if you're somebody in finance, if you're investing in entertainment, you want to make sure that you are right. You're... You want to make sure that your release date lines up with the dead center of the Overton window. Wherever it is on that day, you want your movie to be embracing those ideas. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's it's this interesting question. It's like, should producers, you know, the people who make these big decisions, be operating that way? In that respect, uh, I think it's interesting that um, uh, just wrapping up the Star Trek portion of this, now they've done this thing called Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And the captain is probably top five most beautiful white man walking the planet right now <laughs> and probably top three haircuts of all time. Like after this, look up Captain Pike of the fucking Enterprise right now. This motherfucker. I told my girlfriend, I was like, if they curse me with being white. I would pick Anson Mount. This fucking this fucking guy is so beautiful. But but again, he's 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 got a, a um a down home yet regal quality. And he's murdering it. And the three people at his bridge and his security officer are all women. And Ahura is a woman. And Spock is off in the corner playing drums like Ringo. And fucking, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's a whole new vibe. So there's, like, all these women on the bridge doing their thing. And then, the, like, person who flies the ship, Ortegas, is a woman uh, who is, I think she happens to be a lesbian. And she fucking rocks that ship. They give her a nice little, uh, 
episode to like show how good she can fly the ship and how she's a rebel. She's like maverick and shit. And they just, it was just kind of a, I was just noticing how it was embracing all the things they wanted to get over on discovery, which is yes, there were women and Africans and this and that and the other in old star Trek, but they kind of were off to the side and the main people that were doing the main shit were usually males and the women who were just like, what do we do, Captain whoever the fuck? You know, that was a lot of the case. And then, you know, uh, uh, Captain Janeway comes and changes that a little bit more than it had been changed before. And so we're all marching forward. Progress is great. But I think it's an interesting thing in this show that they've they've brought back the man captain and the episodic stuff. So now uh, some of the stuff that was weirding people out before is gone. And they got their nostalgia bomb. So they got Dover Oberton windowed. Again, back in the other way. You know what I mean? With this yeah. new thing. So now people can go, no, 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 no. It's like, I read Playboy for the articles. I didn't hate Disco because of the Black Captain. I hated it because the Black Captain and serial storytelling that was boring and drawing Star Trek stories that would really be one episode or an A plot in an A plot, B plot episode of a fucking old Star Trek show drawn out for entire eight episode, ten episode arcs. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. And the first three episodes of Strange New Worlds, if you haven't watched Star Trek in years, and you don't even like Star Trek like that, and maybe the last time you watched it was TNG, fuck with that Strange New Worlds, man. It's a nice sci-fi television program now. It's got it all figured out. But again, I it, the hyper, like you said, the, they really read the room, and they were like, all right, taking notes. <laughs> classically, yeah. classically beautiful uh, 40-something uh, captain guy. Spock, number one, bring it, bring it all back. Let's do, let's do, yeah, let's yeah, just yeah. do it point by point. Seri- uh, serialized storytelling or episodic? Are you? Uh, oh, two two plates of episodic. Gotcha. Like a short, <laughs> short, short cook. Uh, you know, waitress writing that shit down. And I just think, is have I been double Overton windowed? Am I one of those? Because I I stopped liking Star Trek a little bit with the serialized nature of disco and the whisper acting and some of the crying. I kind of fell in this right wing section of the shit but i watched it dutifully because to me i'm not right wing enough to be like this is not trek mm-hmm. that was my, my overton window wasn't you know what i mean i couldn't yeah, see yeah, yeah. that that side of it well and i think that's a great example of how you know the answer to well should the creators of our favorite entertainment products be acting like politicians with regards to the overton window is a hard answer because mm-hmm. i think everything you just said hedges toward yes And frankly, all of these arguments that you see online about like, this isn't what it is. This isn't what it's supposed to be. That's kind of a yes answer. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want these people just operating as independent actors who don't give a shit what the public thinks. Right. Mm -hmm. So that means that they need to be acting like politicians in a weird way. But this is a science. I just want to say (laughs) that. But it's an interesting framework there right now. The Overton mm. window is more or less. Comics Gate is on the far part, but not off the thing. Com- Comics Gate shit is right wing, definitely. Mm-hmm. Then you slide it down to wherever the middle is, and we're going to talk about whatever the middle is because I don't even fucking know anymore. And then we go all the way to the left, which is like autobiographical comics about your cat that you print up in zine form, and you do not maybe give a fuck about selling them or whatever because like there's something I to me. There's part of a market to comics. And if we're talking about comics for real, not just yeah. art, comics as commerce. American comics, at least. Maybe the far right is essentially 
everything should feel and look exactly as it was when it was originally created. Mm-hmm. And the far left is creators should be able to do whatever the hell they want. Screw continuity. Screw, you know, what you want. You're hiring mm-hmm. people to make it. Let them do whatever the hell they want. So if that's the spectrum of, of at least American comics, and that's the market that I know best so I can best speak to, you know, I would argue that the Overton window is probably closer to the right, is probably closer mm-hmm. to that idea of like it should look, feel, and be exactly like it was when it was created. You might even say that that attitude is actually in the Overton window. Because I think that there are enough people that hold that idea, that speak it freely, that introduce it into the public discourse sort of without irony or compunction. Mm -hmm. You might say that's in the Overton window. Mm -hmm. So in a weird way, I would say for comics, the Overton window might be as far right as possible, you know, without that attitude being the center of the window, which I think would be impossible because, you know. Well, as as but as we've talked about a lot, a lot of the time. It is comp- superheroes are a right wing idea, full stop. Yep. Because it's just more or less benevolent fascism. I have yep. not been giving any sort of democratic. Nobody elected me. Nobody asked me. You know, I just I, heard I have some no cries. Oversight. I have I no have, oversight. Yeah. yeah. No regulation. Yes. Exactly. Uh, and I could just, hey, you, you know what? I heard some cries in the night and I decided to break spines. I'm a hero. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I mean? uh-huh. that's the most right wing shit I ever heard in my fucking life. Uh huh. So, so it, it at its core, it's that down to the point of the billionaires care. The billionaires come out of their penthouses and just be caring all over the place. They want to build a suit of armor around the world. They want to make sure the death of their parents never happens to anybody else. All these lofty goals that they use really, that money. They use that money so benevolently. Like, oh it's a yeah, thing they have that money so they could do these good things. Oh my God! Imagine if the free market hadn't get. Imagine if free market and good old fashioned fiduciary responsibility hadn't empowered Bruce Wayne. And, and, and Tony Stark with all that stuff. Oh, the world would be in fucking shambles without these billionaires. I'll it's, it's, dude, the comic books are like pamphlets for super capitalism, basically. And it gets you into this mind of this rugged individual that can beat anything. And, oh, Jesus. And I, I, damn, I was really programmed by Punisher comics when I was a kid, man. <laughs> like, I, re- I really thought that, like, man, there's just some, too much red tape, man. <laughs> I'm watching Ed have an epiphany. You guys are listening to this, but we're on a video chat, and it's like watching his brain splinter in like a Doctor Strange movie or something. Oh god! Because I had already bought Batman. You see, Batman was my gateway vigilante. Yeah. So why wouldn't I be okay with some dude killing these guys? Batman lets them go so they could kill some more guys. I'm just right winging, right wing, and I've lived in Missouri, and I was a member of the NRA. Like, dude, I was on it, dude. Bro, <laughs> you're you're literally illustrating how the Overton window works. It's like <laughs> you know, you start with Batman being your fringe, and then when Batman becomes your center, now you've got the Punisher over there on your fringe, yep. and the mm-hmm. further you go towards the Punisher, then you're leaving room for you know. All kinds of crazy shit. Yeah. And, and and that's why things like, you know, 1950 Superman comics, where it's a fun jaunt about him at home with Lois Lane and pulling tricks on Supergirl went out of fashion because we're going mm-hmm. in that direction towards the Punisher. So 
perfect illustration of how this shit works. Dude, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about this through the comic book and pop culture lens because there's so many of these conversations. Like, given the fact that companies do a little bit of polling, they do a little bit of thinking as far as that's where we get this almost far right idea that because comics are loss leaders, they are just used specifically to virtue signal for a company and they don't believe any of this stuff. And all this, all these weird propaganda ideas that come from the far right and the people who do comics gate, it's like, okay, because I refuse to learn perspective and my background suck and I, and my women have broken spines from showing ass and titties in the same picture all the time. Not that that's impossible, by the way. I really hate that just as a sidebar. That is a little bit of a weak commentary. There are many poses that human women can do that show butt and boobs at the same time. Some I know of these, I've seen pictures of real women doing it. So you yeah, know. I mean, it's a real thing that women can actually really do. But these guys take it to this ridiculous extreme and fuck it up for everybody because they because they refuse to learn how to draw. And that right. part of them trying to be such a rebel is why their comics suck so bad a lot of the times. I don't know. Embracing of this amateur aesthetic is part of now has been part of this weird right wing thing that happens. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a fascinating topic, like the overlap of political ideology with both like craftsmanship, story material, you know, general attitudes about the industry. Um, It might be a little far afield of the Overton window. It's so hard for me to apply political ideologies to art and especially to the craftsmanship of art, because what I was about to say is traditionally a conservative mindset um, embraces like a, a very academic school of craftsmanship, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, it, it, generally in art, conservatism is like Renaissance painting. You know, mm-hmm. it's the people who think that art should represent life as with as much fidelity as possible. That sort of, you know, very controlled and deliberate technique that you have to spend years trying to hone is the the height of what it should be. Like those are conservative mindsets in art. Whereas things like, you know, Van Gogh's expressionism, the Dada-esque, you know, I'm going to take a urinal and display it in an art museum and now it's a piece of art. Like that's the liberal idea of art, that art is more about concept, that art is about challenging the viewer, that art is about context. It's not about craftsmanship. That's more of a liberal idea. But what's interesting is like that seems to get kind of flipped in comics. And I wonder if it's because in America, at least political ideology is so tied to like your concept of freedom. And so, hey, man, if I'm just expressing myself like, that's worth more than somebody who's like got all this fancy learning about story structure and character development and like really trying to show you how smart they are. You know, it's Mm -hmm. American conservatism is so tied up with an anti-intellectualism that it Mm -hmm. sort of flips the traditional understanding of art. But yeah, the American anti-intellectualism, I would argue that in Russia, the conservatives now, I guess it is like America that, Man, that's a worldwide flip, right? Because mm-hmm. conservatives in in Russia, in modern day Russia, are every bit as anti intellectual as conservatives in the United States, mm-hmm. and the liberals are sort of, you know, the bastion of free thinking is liberalism. Which, again, this is a weird thing because in academia that was always true. You know, in academia, 
liberal thought was always the one trying to push the boundaries, trying to introduce new ideas, trying to embrace new norms. Conservative thought was always like, well, this is what the Greeks discovered, you know, 2000 years ago. And this is how it is because they discovered it then. Anti-intellectualism has a huge impact on the Overton window. And maybe this is it's like maybe I'm in real time figuring out something important as I'm thinking about this, because if you think about it, the less educated a populace, the more easily manipulated the Overton window. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how we started this conversation Mm -hmm. is here's all these facts, but they don't matter because they're not in the window. You know, they're not in the center of the window. How do you get them in the center of the window? That is literally the most important question in politics, which might make it the most important question in life. The counter argument, I guess it's a counter argument to that is the dumber your populace, the easier it is to yank around the Overton window. If you can get people to mistrust and not be able to separate fact from fiction, then that Overton window may as well be on wheels. You know what I mean? Because. Well- Okay. Okay. Well, let's, 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 let's examine that though. Okay. I think the addendum to all that is like the smarter your populace feels versus how smart they actually are. I think that's an (laughs) important part of it. You know what I'm saying? Because like if your populace feels super fucking smart and like there's some kind of Sherlock Holmes that can always deduce everything, then no matter what you are, left, right, middle, centrist, whatever, all of these groups of people have deduced it. I know what it is. I've deduced it. My political um, framework has given me the ability to deduce exactly why anything is happening. Global pandemic, formula shortage, Roe versus Wade. I have it all deduced. If your populace feels like that, all you got to do is what they do do, which Mm. is figure out how to corral each of these audiences and where they overlap figure out how to rope them in and make that money tucker carlson people believe there ain't no fucking covid and the left eats babies and blah blah let me just corral all those people up and it's not it's not so much formulating an audience as chasing one as you as you were talking about it isn't so much i i I get mad when people say that fox news like changed my grandpa i think it weaponized all of your grandpa's already failings yeah you know what i mean you know and and so i think that that's the part that we don't want to acknowledge right we will always want to believe that some svengali snake from the jungle book came down and did a fucking uh calypso and fucking weirded everybody out with a trance or whatever we want to believe that we're that cults just come grab sheep out of nowhere there's some yearning to belong and people who go get fucked up in cults there's some yearning to go Man, in the 50s, all I know is, I mean, I had a few Negro friends, but they didn't look me in my eyes and shit. Like, now, man, this is bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about that feeling in your chest that you can't articulate. And next thing you know, Tucker Carlson in a bow tie is saying exactly what your 80-year-old ass has been thinking for a long time. And you're just like, shit, I'm part of the zeitgeist. I'm not old-fashioned. I'm part yeah. of the zeitgeist. I'm right. And damn do those people vote up their asses off. Yeah, it's an interesting – I mean, I, I resonate with that completely because – I look at, you know, the Fox News members of my family and Fox News didn't turn them into anything. What turned them into who they are was the fact that they came from, you know, immigrant communities that had very harsh religious strictures 
mm-hmm. and incredibly protectionist civil organization amongst them. So, yeah, you become racist, you become problematically dogmatic, you become, you know, suspicious of anybody who's coming into your pocket because that's the milieu in which the entire family was created back in, you know, the early 1900s when they were off the boat Italians or off the boat Slavs in my case. Mm-hmm. And like so you band together, you mistrust anybody who's not part of your in-group. You, you know, literally see anybody who's not part of your in-group as a threat. You think that the you don't trust the government because they're probably not trying to help you. So the last thing you want to do is give them your tax money. It's like that's just who you are because that's where you come from. And so unless you really take a step back and try to break that chain, that's how you end up. And I totally agree with you. Like Fox News doesn't turn anybody into anything. They just give you permission to be what you already are. But again, that's an interesting Overton window argument, right? Is if you are an anti-tax, you know, xenophobe, the Overton window could influence you to keep that to yourself. Because Mm. if being an anti-tax xenophobe is on the fringe of the Overton window, you're not going to be going out marching in the streets, screaming at your uh, more more progressive relatives, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. But the minute that the Overton window starts moving so that being an anti-tax xenophobe becomes closer to the center of the window, individual behavior is going to change to reflect that. And so that's why Fox News is problematic, because it is encouraging people to embrace socially destructive parts of themselves. And that's really what the Overton window is all about. What do you have permission to be in this culture? Is what side of the political spectrum is more how we naturally are as a species and is but but the counterpoint to that is given the type of species we are what is actually natural literally anything we can think of is natural like we are no longer apes in the jungle well that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying so like so when you start to try to just say that what we are is something from 6,000 years ago, 6 million years ago, 5 billion years in the future. It doesn't mean anything because human beings have changed so much since we were minted. Mm. And there's, there's, there's been whole uh, ethnic groups, some would call races, that have appeared since we first appeared. The, you know what I mean? There, we've changed so much. We've changed that much. So what is when when either side tries to pin down what they think we actually are? I think that's where the schism comes from. We are idea machines, so us anything we could think of is natural. And just to jump on that real quick, I agree with you completely. And just to illustrate that, you know, the original conception of the Overton window, kind of before it was weaponized by political strategists, when it was just sort of a, more of an observe uh, an observation tool was that the spectrum that it actually measured was essentially from more free to less free. Mm-hmm. So one end of the spectrum was anarchy, no government whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And the other end of the spectrum was essentially totalitarianism, lockdown security state. I would argue that either one of those extremes are natural for human beings. 
to either exist with no master in any sense of the word, might makes right, relying only on your wits in your own two hands, that's natural, or to be completely subservient, not even thinking on your own, being told what to do every single day of your life so that you can contribute to some other ideal that maybe you don't even have, that's natural. Mm-hmm. That's been a, that's been a hugely natural part of human existence since it started. Mm-hmm. So natural doesn't matter. That's to me. Mm-hmm. That's the takeaway. Like, yep. nothing nothing is natural because everything is natural. So trying to say like, oh well, this is just how things are. No, it's not. That's how things are right here, right now, because of you know the past several hundred years that got us there. Which, by the way, applies to anywhere in the world. Applies to any place in the world. And that's why so many places in the world are so different. Because at the end of the day, there is no baseline. Mm -hmm. And I think the Overton window is an interesting way to think about that. Because the Overton window, there is no optimal position for the Overton window. The Overton Mm -hmm. window just, just reflects whatever is going on in your society at the time. So theoretically, the Overton window can slide all the way over to, you know, the Nazi ideal, or it can slide all the way over to the Borg Collective, or it can slide all the way over to the Hunger Games. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. anything could exist in the Overton window. We all just collectively decide where it's placed. If anything, I I think the, the takeaway is that this is why art and storytelling are so important because how else do you move the Overton window? You know what I mean? Like creating narratives Mm -hmm. is how you create emotions, which is how you create opinions and actions. And like, that is something that literally all of us need to understand both so that we can be aware of how we're being manipulated to move the Overton window one way or the other and how we have power to contribute to moving it one way or the other. Okay, and so as we dismount here, I want to I want to drill down on the concept of art pushing society a little bit, but I think we've been talking about it as sort of being a reaction to society for a majority of the conversation. Um so I just want to talk about that a bit uh, as we a- ease on out because I I got to say part of me goes like that's the real conundrum, right? Because mm-hmm. when you see people go well, you can't play that video game or you can't read that book because you you ban books. You do all these different things to give these things this power. Like if my kid reads Huck Finn, first of all, they'll be well acquainted with the N-word or whatever. And secondly, they'll be this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you got all these things in your head about all these old books and all these old records and all these old Lenny Bruce albums and all this. You got all these political associations with these things. They become these totems. For how to express ourselves as, are you a, are you a Lenny Bruce truther? You know, or are you a, you know, are you all these different ways we identify ourselves through our art and we give them this power? Does it have anything more than a cathartic, uh, power? Because I mean, people have argued with its ability to shift narrative, but I would argue that it's, its power is putting ideas out there. But you have no idea how those are going to be picked up on. Because I guarantee you, two trans women did not fucking foresee the Matrix and Red Pill being used for male rights activism and and for looking at world in a binary of 
women taking over and fucking it all up, men reasserting their dominance and making sure the plane flies right. Completely. There's no way they anticipated that. No fucking way. They tried their damnedest to make a fairly didactic piece of art that stated something about human potential and breaking out of systems and becoming your true self, believing in your one true self. There's a lot of shit in there that those motherfuckers said, fuck all that. I'm going to take this red pill shit out and make it okay to smack my grandma in the face and push my girlfriend down a flight of stairs. Uh, Don't worry, she's an anime pillow. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> of course. You know what I mean? So so they they used this art this trans woman's art to make these bullshit associations that go nuts. And I'm just mm. thinking, like, given that, given how ridiculously your well-formed ideas can be reformatted and, and memed and flipped around and changed, does art have its old school power to influence like i saw the bridge over river Kwai, and i decided to go over there and shoot shoot nazis or whatever the fuck you know what i mean does it have that power anymore i you know i don't know if art ever had that power and i, mm-hmm. I think about you know the death of the author is um a school of criticism that i want to say started in the 1800s um but People still debate it, and I'm not entirely sure why, because to me, it's true. Like, the minute a piece of art enters the public sphere, the Mm -hmm. author's intention no longer matters. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't. And that's why criticism is important. That's why discussion is important. That's why museums are important. Like, the only function of art is to be consumed. How you digest it is 100% up to you. And unfortunately, yeah, to your point, people can take the exact quote unquote wrong messages from something that the, you know, people could take the messages that the author never intended. Mm -hmm. Here's where I'll give some hope, I suppose, to people who want to create art. If you look at the long tail of art, right, and I'm thinking now back to like the Impressionists in the late 1800s, which is is around the same time as the death of the author started, right? The Impressionists were this school of rebels in France who essentially decided to say, now that the photograph exists, art should no longer be trying to represent the real world. Art should be more about how somebody sees the world, emotional reactions, evoking emotional reactions, And that was scandalous at the time. That scandalized Mm. everybody. From that, I take the true function of art is just to challenge. Mm. And I think if your art is safe, it's not good. And and that is a very sort of anti-academic way of thinking. Although, you know, I think I think actual academia has shifted enough that that is pretty mainstream for liberal arts schools now. Um, but in the sense of the academic art world being the traditional definition where the academy was essentially like the Renaissance version. That's how you learned how to paint like Leonardo, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So as an artist, your function in society is just to push and poke and prod. You know what I mean? And like... Mm. I, this is where the rubber meets the road too with the free marketplace of ideas and where, you know, 
I'm very much an advocate of the First Amendment because, yeah, within saying that, you do end up with people like Comicsgate who are going to say, well, no, the mainstream is going in this direction and it sucks and here's why. And let me give you something that's way better for whatever reason. I think the fact that, you know, they have failed to become mainstream while the impressionists became mainstream is a great example of how some ideas are worthwhile and some aren't. But as the Overton window shows us, you as the artist can't decide that. The only thing that can decide that is the collective action of your audience. So, yeah, don't have high hopes that you single-handedly are going to build a bridge to a new future that is so much further left or right, whichever way you want to go, right? Mm -hmm. Because you just won't. Mm -hmm. The real task is sustaining your effort, doing it over and over again, keep putting your voice out into the world, and make sure that you're not at the center of the window. If you're doing something that everybody is already okay with, it's kind of not worth doing. So whatever you do as an artist, do it over and over again, because that just puts out more and more discourse, and more discourse is how you shift the window. And try your damnedest to work on the fringes. That's all I can say. Yeah, well, I think uh, working on the fringes is the one part we got right here at the greatest pod. That we're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> we got more fringe than a goddamn uh, than uh, McClintock's jacket. Goddamn. <laughs> 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 but, but yeah, um, at this pod, we try to to discuss and debate what makes something great. My tagline I made up a long time ago, which Bill said was "good, not great." I'm not in love with it, but we haven't come up with something better yet. And then 53 episodes later, we're just on it. So I I do think that part of the reason why we want to do that though is not to be too didactic right today we got we got to talk a little bit i mean both of us are left-leaning but like yeah. shit i might be the most conservative motherfucker in the 20 block radius uh i think i have a, a wider worldview i'm more accepting of a lot more things than i used to be uh and i just want some of that to be reflected in some of the things that i that i look at and being such a pop culture head it started really wearing on me a few years ago how right-wing actually comics are how ridiculously right-wing they are and how they they offer these simple solutions and then we saw bill maher's dumbass jump on there and start being like uh fucking you know stan lee makes people stupid because he proffers these stories and i'm like well, i don't I'm, I'm seeing bill maher slipping right on the on the overton window sure and i'm and i'm like do i agree with this opinion am i on the left now am i on the right now well, I think our social dynamics are always changing. And I think, you know, I, I'm continually flummoxed by sort of like how the mainstreaming of anti-woke sentiment. Um, like, I get where you're coming from. You know, this whole uh, this whole anti-cancel culture thing of, of, well, don't ruin somebody's life just because they made an off-color joke. I kind of I, I'm I agree with that. I agree mm -hmm. with that, right? Mm -hmm. The people who just receive content more than do content, 
I think the heavy majority of them can be convinced to cancel somebody given different circumstances, whether they're right wing or left wing. But I think the people who make things for a living, I think most of them don't want that. I think right. you have to you have to keep the perspective that no, I mean these are people who are essentially fighting to shift the Overton window, right? Mm-hmm. The people who are going after you for having certain opinions are people who are frustrated and fed up with where the Overton window currently sits. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. they don't want things like abortion um, to be. They don't want things like the illegality of abortion to be in the center of the Overton window. They don't want things like, um, you know, forgiving rapists or sexual harassers to be in the middle of the Overton window. There's all mm-hmm. these elements of society that people mm-hmm. are very uncomfortable as being as mainstream as they are. Right. And so the more aware of this stuff that people become, which is just an unfortunate or fortunate um, byproduct of the internet, the more vociferous people are going to be about pushing back against it. And so I think then the unfortunate reality is people get offended by the pushback. So then you're going to get pushback against the pushback where Mm -hmm. it's like, well, wait a minute. Are you doing this the right way? Are you going too far? There's not enough nuance, which again, not to say that those are meritless arguments either, but it's, we just have this way of talking to each other that's just, you know, yelling at each other. The binary is very emphasized these days, which is why I wanted to talk about this window, right? Just keeping this to comics and things. If you're in the middle, right? What is that? What exactly is the okay middle of something that's so far right? These people with a bunch of resources bully their point of view into the populace and the populace fawns over them because they're so powerful. How do you even push that toward you? I think that's the crux of why I'm very anti anti woke, right? Is in recognizing that we have been in a rightward slide with the mm-hmm. Overton window for a very mm-hmm. long time. I am willing to embrace just about anything that's trying to push us left. Like, I don't give a fuck. It's difficult because to a large extent, maybe this is the problem is like the more extreme both sides get, the less you're able to find the middle ground. That's very true. But also we got it. And again, this is a personal opinion. So you might hate me and disagree with me, but you listener, I know you not Ed, but, but yeah, I, I am so in favor of just trying to put rocket boosters to the left, knowing that there's a, huge possible majority of the country that's going to be dragging us you know going to prevent it from shooting that way i want to see more left-wing ideas talked about Mm. in public i want i want to talk you know all trans people should get free adopted babies you know what i mean like (laughs) i don't give a fuck looking for the middle ground unfortunately has been seeding ground to extremists that's just how it's been happening for 20 years at least. The right is an anvil, and we're like three people trying to keep it from falling off a building and landing on children or whatever forever. The, I mean, that's the thing. I think that the the story of my lifetime has been the left pushing back against the right, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is only going to shift everything right because 
the minute that right wingers say something crazy and you have to jump in to denounce it, you're given that topic air. So I wish that more left wing people in all walks of life, in art, in politics, in academia, whatever, I wish they would start introducing more and more crazy ideas and in a sustained way, right? Like that's the other thing is we're seeing these discussion cycles. They peter out quickly if you don't put the effort into sustaining them. So, oh, dude, that, I, th- I just thought of something though. Not, not yeah. to interrupt you, but I think this is this is the point to dismount on. Please, I think the reason why it doesn't happen is because of capitalism. There's, I don't know how much fucking money there is, and pissing off grandpa, pissing off people my age, and and doing things that are so avant garde that our puritanical society doesn't can't all go see it as a dumb family. You know, I mean that's over. That's grossly oversimplifying. I'm just saying there's no money and pulling towards. It's so funny how the right wing has stated that there's all this money in pulling people left. I don't think that's true at all. And I and I think that our our um our strike backs through art end up being filtered through the money system. Can oh, we yeah. make a show about um any marginalized community Inuits? That are also uh, drag performers that are also gymnasts. Okay, fuck it. So if they can make money off of that show, it'll be on FX tomorrow or or Hulu regular or whatever. But if they can't, then it won't exist. If you can't sell your culture, if you can't sell your neurodivergency, your whatever is special about you. I'm not saying wrong. I'm saying special. Yeah. Your special whatever wonderfulness that you're going to add to this white Euro kind of crypto fascist framework. It fucks it up because you got to sell it to these motherfuckers. You, that, that's what fucks it up. You have to be able to sell it or else, as you stated, that's why these conversations peter out. Because there's market market forces make conversations stay in our minds as capitalists. Well, and that's why people get so pissed off about um, the corporatization of the Internet, right? Mm-hmm. Because there we had a mass media platform that wasn't controlled by those corporate interests. It was mm-hmm. just people putting stuff out for the sake of having a voice. And now everything is ad supported and monetized and the mm-hmm. biggest companies in the world control 90% of what your eyeballs see. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's the clarion call for like, well, we need something new that isn't corporate controlled. And like, to be clear, everything will always end up corporate controlled. Mm-hmm. But it behooves society to try to, for everybody, as many people as possible, to try to work outside of those strictures. Yeah, and, and just to bring it back to comics one last time, I've said this rant, and I'm going to say it again on this one. This is why there isn't more diversity in comics. The right wing has said it doesn't make capitalistic sense to make comics more diverse because there aren't enough black and 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 gay and whatever people buying comics. This is a fallacy. Throw it in the fucking fire. I'm specifically talking about the big two here. They're, they're going to change Superman to be a, 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 a black giraffe at some point because they own Superman and they can play around with that IP. But your average comics creator isn't going to DC and going, Oh, hello. I have this great LGBTQ character who also happens to be from Brazil and this, that, and the other. 
and I'm just going to give it to you for a work for hire contract so that when you make it the biggest thing of all time, I can come to the premiere one seat you gifted me and make $1,400 and have a special thanks. You're not going to get a bunch of these new, great, black, gay, Hispanic, any type of characters at the big two unless they change that shit. There's no incentive for you to take take your brilliant black, gay, trans, whatever character to DC and sell it to them. There's no incentive at fucking all. So buckle up, Buttercup. You're going to get trans Captain America. You're going to get goddamn uh, whatever the fuck anybody can think of because those are IP that they can control. They could do a nice little market test to see if you fucking fall for it. And if you don't, they'll change it to something else and it doesn't matter. And I'm, trust right. me, I'm not one, one of these black dudes who's like, I hate when they change characters. Man, make black, make Batman a black wheelchair bound dude that hits people in the knees with batons. I don't give a fuck. Do whatever you want. Cause I know in about 20 minutes, he's going to be a white man with black hair doing his, doing the thing he's always done for 80 years. That doesn't bother me and it shouldn't bother you. You know what I'm saying? Or, or not you, you, but anybody because they're always going to flip back. But people, one of the main arguments I see about, well, comics is so right wing and comics is this and they never have any black characters and Hispanic characters and Asian characters, blah, blah, and the big two, man. And when they do, they race bend another. That's why, dummies. And that's what I was talking about. The left is making your own things in comics. The mm-hmm. left seems to be making your own things without really expecting to make a bunch of money. Comics gate is the right. Make your own things. Expect to make a ton of money. Because you think you're serving some audience that has been denied good comics since they made such and such character gay or made Blue Beetle Hispanic or something. No, there is a huge queer audience for comics that don't give a shit what Marvel and DC do. And they read everything on Webtoon and independent, you know, web comics platforms where those creators don't make much money, but there is a ton of product and an incredibly engaged audience. But yeah, again, those creators are not taking their original character to DC because the audience who reads DC, and I don't know if you would agree with me on this, Ed, but I would say Marvel and DC audiences are kind of right wing mm-hmm. like that. If you are a, if you are somebody who is a conservative mainstream person, you probably do gravitate toward Batman and Superman and Captain America and they're Spider-Man. lawful left. That's what yeah. they are on on that weird scale. They're lawful yeah. left. They love it when Spider Man sees a thief stealing some TVs and he just swoops down and beats the shit out of them. They love it. It sets the world right. It's people who steal are bad. That, that's a lot of the thought process that go. That's another reason why I think a lot of the smart stuff is going other places. Yeah. Is not just, you know, the market forces. It's just like, I want to do something more complex than robber bad. If you want to yeah. do that, you got to yeah. go elsewhere. And I mean, this is, this is maybe just the feather in the cap of the whole conversation, but like we're in such a weird time politically where, you know, a lot of the traditional definitions of right or left are kind of being redefined. Mm-hmm. And that goes that goes to what you were saying, even about like some of your favorite creators taking some of these weird stances. It's like everything is changing and mm-hmm. and I have no idea where it's going to where it's all going to go. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that that's a great observation that you're making is like no matter 
how progressive the clothes that you put on superhero comics might be, the core concept is always going to be conservative. And so you're either going to be okay with that or you're going to go look for your product elsewhere. You know what I mean? And by the way, if I can make it, if I can make a quick plug, something that I uh, really got into recently on Webtoon, there's a series called Lavender Jack, which is a, the main character is essentially a black gay Batman in sort of a sci-fi Victorian setting. And it is so good. And it's obviously nothing that DC would ever do, but it is so good. Uh, the character is like loosely based on the Scarlet Pimpernel, who was like the first costumed character in all of literature. Um, and the way it's organized is he's not fighting street level criminals. He's essentially just fighting these robber barons um, who are essentially ultra capitalists that are like holding the city hostage. And it is wildly good. So, you know, if you're looking to support some actual progressive comics, uh, check that out. Webtoon, Lavender Jack. Dude, I, that, that sounds really good. Cause I could just, just, uh, Victor, like, uh, Gotham by Gaslight with, with like, yeah, a queer black lead. That's pretty, that's pretty sick, man. Which parts of that world were super racist and which parts like weren't? I, lo- I always love that. Like when I see period stuff and I'm just like, and they try to depict it well, it's like, well, yes, we're just walking down the street. Nobody's going to bother us, but you can't come in the courthouse, bitch. What you doing? What the fuck? I will say it is, it is set in a fictional European country during Victorian times. So there are a lot more brown faces um, sort of in positions of power, even within the world. Like than Bridgerton style or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. But, but, but also, also, it's really dope that way. But also historically, though, I mean, I, I just wish I could put people back in time and let them see how many just black people just walking down the streets in Rome. Just like, oh, yeah. what, you're not a you're not a slave or a superhero or something. No, I'm just chilling. My yeah. name is my name is Cicero Jr. And I'm just trying to live in ancient rome fuck you you know and they just walk away it's, i wish we could show people how how you know everything in the past wasn't white yeah uh just you know and and, and people are so afraid that everything in the future is going to be brown <laughs> so it's, it's like i think that's why that's part of why because when when certain people were given control of what the past looked like it was almost exclusively white right. so now that certain people are getting more of an opportunity to do stuff in the sci-fi realm in different places and you know, people people get mad when they see a laundry commercial and there's an interracial couple folding fucking towels. Man, your Overton window is fucking got blood on it. Like, what is wrong with you? You're objecting to that. I don't know. It's so weird. But the bottom line is, thank you so much for um, introducing this concept to uh, to my mind. It's always been, I guess, part of the discourse, but I never kind of was able to perceive the subtle push and pull that's happened throughout my life. And and like you said it earlier, I did have an epiphany about how just how the the right can grab your ass. It's not about Fox changing you or anything. It's about ideas being introduced and more and more stuff being palatable. I think that's the, the point we want to leave on. It isn't yeah. about brainwashing. Get that shit out of your head. Do I have to wash that out of your brain? That <laughs> concept that people are brainwashed? You don't have to brainwash anybody. What you need to do is introduce them with more and more regressive ideas and a fun format 
and you can get almost anybody. Well, we all have a collection of progressive and regressive ideas in our heads. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a matter of like, number one, you have to be aware of that on your own. And then number two, you have to be aware of how that's being manipulated outside of you. So this hopefully is just one more tool for you to sort of conceptualize that, the Overton window. Absolutely. And apply it to your pop culture consumption. Apply it to your consumption of this podcast. Uh, and speaking of consumption, I think you guys need to jump on that Patreon and throw us down some shekels. And uh, it's patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. If you don't want to throw those shekels down, throw us a review. It's literally free. We read one on air. You throw a five star review on there. You get to be on the air with us. So uh, thank you guys for being um, lawful good or chaotic neutral (laughs) towards ideas on this one. And we will see you next week with another dope ass episode of the greatest 